Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The new Premier League season is upon us and the Gegen Pod is here to break it all down. Socceroos icon and Premier League legend Mark Schwarzer is joined by former Matilda Amy Duggan to look at all the storylines. Who's going to win the title, make the Champions League places, overperform or underwhelm, and who's getting relegated? So many new signings to look at. Who's going to be player of the year? And which manager will win the sack race? So let's get into it. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri, and this is the Gegen Pod on Optus Sport. Yes, it's the season preview for the Gegen Pod on Optus Sport, and we have a great lineup for you today. Amy Duggan, 27 matches for the Matildas and part of Optus Sports coverage for the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023 and Premier League and Socceroos legend Mark Schwarzer, 109 caps for Australia and 514 Premier League appearances. Before we get into the talking points, how are your off-seasons? Is there such thing as an off-season? Amy, I know there wasn't for you because you were covering the Women's Euros the whole time. Oh my gosh, how amazing has this last month been? It's record breakers everywhere, crowds, the reaction, investment in women's football, the coaching bylines, the tournament first, the winners being the host nation. I think the party's still going over there, Schwartzy. Um, outrageous goals, you name it. Uh, so many valuable lessons, but ultimately just a massive benchmark tournament. And uh, the next 12 months now seriously excites me ahead of the Women's World Cup. Who needs sleep? Mark, did you get a chance to recharge the batteries yourself? I mean, are you are you such a football addict that you you had to watch games during the off season, or did you get a chance to make a clean break? Uh, well, in terms of Premier League teams, I didn't watch any games whatsoever uh, in the preseason. Uh, what I did do, I watched a lot of the uh, the Women's European Championships. So. Um, obviously, I was at the World Cup in 2019 as well, so for Optus Sport, and I was impressed with what I saw there. I really enjoyed it, and 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 I was obviously very excited about watching the Euros. Um, so I watched it as a as a fan, um, and uh, I, in the end, I couldn't lose in the final because obviously I wanted Germany to win. But then I was happy also England won, so it, it didn't really matter to me. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the tournament. I thought the tournament was excellent. I thought the quality of the, of the football was brilliant, and um, you know. You talk about everything. I mean, Amy touched on it there. You talk about um, the crowds, the atmosphere. It was incredible. Um, I think the way that uh, the English public um, took it on board. I think the way that the the team was supported, and obviously it helps when the you know the lionesses, um, as they called over here, lived up to expectations. But probably even exceeded expectation because once they got to the final, everyone was like, "Oh gosh, it's Germany final. We don't do well in finals. Germany have never lost a final in women's football in the European Championship." So it's kind of like it was almost like, "Yeah, this is just not going to happen. It's not going to be our our our, t- our time." Um, but the girls dug deep, and you know what? I mean, if you want to talk about it, how about the goal? By the way, the first goal was absolutely <laughs> world chip. class. Oh, the ball yeah. firstly, and then the chip. It, the finish was sublime, absolutely incredible to watch. And it was that wasn't just one of them. I, I thought that throughout the tournament, there were teams that were pretty much every game was a very exciting game to watch for one reason or another. 
Yeah, it was absolutely outstanding. Ella Toon's goal is what you're talking about, right? Where, yes. um, you know, England made those changes quite consistently throughout the tournament, in fact, at the 60-minute mark, and they just paid off every other time with Russo scoring, but this time it was Ella Toon putting that away. And you can catch all those stars, can't you, Teo? We can watch them all on Optus Sport because the WSL is coming and I can't wait to see them all back in action. Well, the good thing is that it's got the entire nation of England feeling really good about football and the Premier League comes back on a super quick turnaround, less than a week between the Euros final and the start of the Premier League, which kicks off on Optus Sport on Saturday morning, 4am, Crystal Palace versus Arsenal is the season opener at Selhurst Park and then have a nap and later that night, Fulham versus Liverpool at Craven Cottage and they are one of the new arrivals and I think it kicks off our Premier League preview perfectly because, Mark... Who or what is the new arrival that you are looking forward most to seeing back in the Premier League or new to the Premier League this season? Um, well, first, I'm going to start off with, with a bit of a left field one, first and foremost. There has been discussions already, um, well, just now in the last couple of days, about finally, like in, in Australia, most sporting uh, fans will be used to it. The, the video referee the conversations being live and, and the public being able to hear into them. We're not quite going to get live, but what we're probably going to get or most likely going to get very shortly, if not this season, but certainly very, very uh, shortly they're talking about it, the conversation after the match, which I'm not a big fan of, but at least it's a step in the right direction. So the VAR, the referee's discussion with the VAR official is going to be public knowledge after the event. That's a bit of the downside. Wow. However, forget that bit. I'm going to go with <laughs> the best new arrival for me is Darwin Nunes for Liverpool. I think he's going to be absolutely brilliant for Liverpool this season. Oh, I tend to agree with you, new arrivals, because it's hard to go past Erling Haaland, isn't it? With a team, you know, stacked as Man City last year. That You know, they bought Grealish when they won. And this year, oh, we'll just go big again and buy Haaland. So the pressure's on there. I do think Nunes has really opened some eyes. He's... um. He, you know, he was a game changer in the Community Shield match. He scored five goals in the preseason. Um, I do think their side will miss um, Sadio Mane, but they do have Diaz. And, of course, Salah will be there to back him up. So you're right. I feel he's right at home. But best signing for me, um, I can't wait to see Gabriel Jesus at Arsenal because I don't think he'll help this team to win titles. Um, they're a young side and it will help them to sharpen up. But he has the chance now to go from squad member to key man in this side. Um, so making the switch from a team that will be right up there. You know, he, he scored seven preseason goals, a hat-trick in their game against Sevilla. Arteta has absolutely praised his uh, work rate. We know that he's quick. I think he'll play nine. I think he'll be versatile. And I just I look forward to him having a chance to step up, uh, start games and, and not be a benchy. That's the key, isn't it? The, the 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 question mark for for you know for for him at at um, Arsenal is whether or not he's able to back it up week in week out, because at Manchester City yeah. he showed it at times that he could, but then all of a sudden for whatever reason one way or the other, Pep Guardiola felt that probably he's not the right man to be every week. He took him out of the team, even if he was playing well. So so far in the preseason he's been brilliant. Um, I was talking to one of the coaches there um, at Arsenal just the other day, and they were talking about how big an influence he's already had um, on and off the pitch, yeah. and that they're really excited about you know how he'll develop and how he's helping the players around him, um, you know, go to another level to 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 raise the expectation and demand more from them. 
Yeah, his training ethic is second to none. He's only 25, remember that, and that, that you know they've got a really young squad, so I think he's going to slide right in there. And I'm hoping for big things. I've got a question for both of you with Jesus. Is having to be the main man rather than a complementary piece of a, of a greater unit, is that more to do with how you are coached as a junior? Is it just your experiences playing where you might have always grown up being the best player in your team rather than battling to get into a team through your junior development? Or is it entirely down to personality where your upbringing might have steered you in a certain direction? I'm sure both of you would have played with players who, if they weren't the star of the team, couldn't function to their best. And is that something that Jez was just needed as opposed to being seen as Sergio Aguero's replacement or a bench player, which is what he was at Manchester City? Well, I'm going to jump in first, Schwartzy, because I will say both of us were stars of our team growing <laughs> up. Um, <laughs> you were in the sticks. You didn't play nine ever, did you? Um, <laughs> Every now and then. And, <laughs> okay. I started up front and ended up in the defence, so probably not a great question for me because I'm pretty sure they move you backwards uh, when you're not scoring goals. Um, I actually think it's about confidence at the end of the day. And, and some people might see it as pressure to be the star or to be the main, you know, the main striker, but, uh, or ultimately responsible for, for needing the most goals. But I, I do think it's a bit of both, uh, the way you're brought up, the way you're coached, but also personality. You're right, because you have to have that leadership mentality and you have to thrive under pressure and you have to thrive having that pressure on your shoulders. And there are some players that just lap that up. I think as a, it's almost like a second chance. That sounds horrible because he's playing in the top league, um, you know, not for what's going to be the top team this year, but it's almost a second chance to stand up and be the star that he wanted to be when he came in to top flight football. Um, and I think I think he'll thrive. That, that's the key though, isn't it? The key is the self-belief, the, the belief also from the manager. So I, I think going to, to Arsenal for, for Jesus, it was important for so many reasons obviously with Mikel Arteta as the manager having worked under him or with him at Manchester City and uh, I understand that the the transfer was a year in the making so there were a lot of discussions and that obviously Arteta's relationship with Pep was key um, and also with Gabriel Jesus so already there the confidence was already building the, the trust was already there Jesus I think the decision to go to Arsenal was an easy one because he knows he's got the backing the full backing of the manager knows what to expect from the manager and the manager is going to give him his full faith. And I, I think that's the key. Wherever you go as any player, um, I, I, actually, Amy, I wasn't one of the star players growing up. I was just one of those ones that end up in goal. because Neither was I sports. Yeah, I was just joking. Yeah, my dad, my dad put me in goal because no one else wanted to go in goal and you either got hammered or you, you did okay uh, or you did nothing at all because you, know, you either beat the other team very easily. So I think for, for any of us, it was always about the belief that you had and part of that belief was credited also by the trust that you got from the manager. If you knew the manager backed you 100% and rated you, you actually, I felt always that I grew more in confidence. If I knew the manager didn't fancy me, certainly when I was younger, that was so much more difficult. It was such a battle to, because you knew every single mistake, every single moment was scrutinized and then probably used against you. And it wasn't until I got a bit older that I was actually able to put that aside and had it a few times in my career where I had to put it aside and go actually I don't care what you think I'm going to play I'm going to show you that I'm good enough and I'm going to I'm going to show you that I'm the number one and that's it and you'll have no option other than to play me so I think that comes also maturity 
So you've mentioned Nunez and Haaland, but some of the other new faces that are totally new to the Premier League, moving from outside, I'll run through them quickly, and if any of these tickle your fancy is a great addition, uh, feel free to jump in. Ivan Perisic, the Croatian legend, scored in, of course, the 2018 World Cup semi-final and final. He joins Tottenham. Jean-Lucas Skamaka is West Ham's third most expensive signing ever. He comes in from Sassuolo. Taiwo Awanei, he comes over from Union Berlin, used to play for Liverpool, but never actually got a game for them, was loaned out and then 15 uh, Bundesliga goals last season, a fantastic season. Sven Botman, the centre-back they've been courting for a long time, goes to Newcastle, while Kaladu Koulibaly goes from Napoli to Chelsea. Uh, the Premier League just flexing its financial muscle here. Lissandro Martinez joins uh, Manchester United from Ajax, having worked with Eric Ten Hag. Uh, the Premier League has done it again. They are a buying league. They bring in the best talent in the world. But of those new arrivals, do you think any of those are a particularly great great fit or someone who's going to take the league by storm I think I'll just jump in I I think Perisic Perisic I think a couple of years ago was a really exciting one I'm not really quite sure right now I saw him in the Bundesliga with Bayern Munich look he's he's a good player there's no doubt about it I just don't know whether it's sort of at the twilight of his career whether it's now a little bit the pace of the Premier League the intensity that's one certainly to watch Um, I, I I think like I said, if he was a couple of years earlier, I, I think he would have been a, a, a very good addition. I, I, I'm, I'm actually Tywin Awani for, for Nottingham Forest. I, I saw him quite a lot in the Bundesliga playing for Union Berlin. You're right, he was a, a Liverpool player, um, but never played a single game. I think he was on their books for like six or seven years, uh, but could never get a work permit in, in this country. So he always had to be loaned out. The last two years at Union Berlin, he was, he was very, very good. Uh, we saw the last preseason game for Nottingham Forest. Um, he played a big part in, in, in equalising, getting back in the game, and also playing. They played to his strength. He was he's very strong. He's very quick, and he plays off people's shoulders really well. He likes the physical contact. Um, if they play to his strengths, then I think he can be a real asset to Forest. They're going to need him because you know they're going to be finding it tough, like in all the newly promoted sides. Koulibaly is an interesting one because again, he's another one that. Two, three years ago, I mean, they're talking 90, 100 million pounds for him or euros for him. No one kind of went there. Now, all of a sudden, he kind of went out of Napoli in a bit of a whimper almost. It was like no real headlines. It was just done overnight almost. Um, I think he's a good signing. Is he going to be that good? The Delicht signing that they missed out on? That, uh, that alone, time will tell. I think a lot of the names excite me. And again, I think as with you, Schwartzy, there's been big money spent on a lot of these players that probably won't finish in the top four, maybe apart from Chelsea there. Um, still exciting to watch, but how you come across from, you know, from Italy or from the Bundesliga into the Premier League, it's generally a different style of play and a, and a different, there's an adjustment period. And often teams in their first year in the Premier League don't, don't players that come into the Premier League in their first year don't shine Uh, you know statistics tell us that so they've got a challenge one to fit into a new team under a new coaching system in a new league where you know the pressures of playing top flight are on you on you all the time I think there's some great buyers there I think the problem with a lot of these buyers is that they're not going to be enough to help their teams. When you look at Liverpool and you look at Manchester City and how they've strengthened what was already fantastic, it's awesome to add strength and you want it in defence at the moment really badly. But I noticed too that a lot of these teams have sought 
strikers and and i don't know why there seems to be a drought in strikers it's like there's not but there is they're all searching for something else up front and haven't quite found those right combinations so great time to be a striker not a great time to be a defender looking forward to seeing these um these superstars come across and ply their trade in the premier league do i think they'll shine in the first year probably not do i think we'll get glimpses of it absolutely and are they worth the money? That's the other one, Schwartzy. Yes, that's the big question. That that always the question, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, look, I think I think um, the 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 problem always is. I mean, the the other one is Jack Grealish, right? So we talked about him last season, hundred million pounds. Has he lived up to the expectation? I don't think so. I think he's a million miles away no. from even the player that he was at Aston Villa. Um, I think he's an interesting one. You know, his relationship with uh, Erling Haaland, how that's going to develop, how that's going to flourish. We, we talk about big signings, and I, and I think Haaland, um, Darwin, Nunes, these guys, they they will fit in. They will score goals. They will – it'll be a battle of who will finish top in the end of the season. I've I got no doubt. Haaland has done it wherever he's been. Um, he's done it whether it's been in, 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 uh, uh, in Austria, then across in the Bundesliga, and in European football, and he's, and he, and he's come now to the, uh, the Premier League. I've got no doubt he'll score a bundle of goals. Um, and I think also seeing Darwin Nunes Champions League last season, but also now early with with Liverpool, I find it. I mean, you look at every Liverpool player that's come in. I can't think of a player that's struggled to bed, and certainly the attacking players. I mean, you, you might look at uh, you know there's a couple of players, maybe Naby Keita, but that was also injury getting back in the team injury, and that's really tough. Thiago was a bit like that at the beginning. Now they're fit, they've slotted in. So I, I just. I can see them doing really, really well. I can see them just hitting the ground running. The rest is the interesting mm. one. It's like I said, Perisic, Koulibaly. I think Koulibaly will be fine. There's a couple others there. You just kind of wonder how are they going to adjust? And that's where that problem comes in. Will they adjust? Look, we saw it with Paul Pogba. He couldn't adjust. He couldn't adjust to the Premier League. Mm. You bring up uh, Nunes v. Haaland, and I hope, Tia, I can go ahead here a little bit because there's some stats about these guys that – they're very similar, but they're very different. And, and um, I know the question you're going to ask is who's going to score more goals, right? So um, it, it's a hard one to pick. But, you know, they were born just 13 months apart. And they're monsters, like they're beasts. Helen's like six foot four, Nunez six foot two. Um, Nunez has, you know, built a, an amazing expected goal ratio. Helen's is, has dropped off. But, um, but Nunez actually has the upper hand in terms of conversion rate. He pips Haaland with a rate of like 31%, I think, compared to 26 or 27. And then you look at the actual goals. And, of course, Haaland racked up more goals, 29 in 30 games across all competitions, you know, a goal a game, whereas Nunez was a little bit lower but still netted, you know, 35 times. So th- this will be something that we keep an eye on, I think, the entire season and um like you said, I think they'll both go in well. I actually think Nunez will do better here and only because I think he'll fit in better Swartzy. I think Hallen will be there, he'll be in front of goals, but I don't think his conversion will be uh, as good. And I think he will struggle to build a relationship with some of the players in City and the way that they play, the the style of play that they have, that more possession, ticka-taka type football, like possession-based football rather than what he's used to, which is really driving forward. So keen to get your thoughts on that one too. I, I yeah I agree I, I think I think Darwin Nunes will score more goals um, and that's a big call because Haaland is unbelievable as well but I, I do I agree with you I, I just feel that it's just more suited to Nunes um, at Liverpool and I think the way that the team set up the the kind of player that Nunes is as well Haaland is 
brilliant in most aspects. I think Nunez is probably a better header of the ball, better in the box in that regard. But it's so hard to, to pick the two of them. But I just think with Liverpool, the way they attack, the way they go forward, I actually even think Liverpool will be the better side this season. Well, just on that, uh, both of them have come in not just to try and win the Premier League, where, of course, uh, Liverpool and Manchester City went down to the final day last season, but to win all the trophies on offer. And with in particular to Nunez, Liverpool didn't score in the League Cup final, the FA Cup final or the Champions League final. Mark, if they brought Nunez in as the guy who scores on big occasions, because in the Champions League last season, he scored a double against Barcelona, he scored against Bayern, he scored against Liverpool home and away in the Champions League. So are those big occasions, cup finals if Liverpool make them, Champions League knockout games, is it as much about that as it is about week-to-week Premier League, or do you think he can do it all? I think he can do it all. You know what it is about him as well? He's, he's, he's Uruguayan. He's a fighter. You know, mm-hmm. Luis Suarez showed that as well, um, I think, without the biting, right? So, <laughs> but he's going to be, he's that player, he's a real fighter, he's got incredible quality, um, and it's, just, it's a different mindset. It's it's almost like, you know, it's, it's to die on the football pitch almost, to win at all costs, and he's got that about him. There's a, it's, a, it's a different sort of makeup to someone like, you know, uh, Erling Haaland. Um, so I just think he's got that little bit of edge. And, I, and I, I actually think, look, I think Mane will go on and be a better player at Bayern Munich than he was at Liverpool because he's becoming, he's going to be mm. more of a kind of a, a focal point. Um, I think the, the, the no longer being that focal point or sort of being no longer on a par, feeling like he was never really appreciated as much at Liverpool, I think started to really play on him. Um, and I think he'll be better at now. He'll he'll kick on at Bayern. I don't think he would have done that at Liverpool. So saying that, I think Darwin Nunes coming to the club is going to help Liverpool get better because he's going to slot in and do really well. Yeah, and his relationship with Mo Salah, I think, will be super important. But from what I'm hearing, Salah's really taken him in and taken him under his wing, and they're, you know they're growing a friendship as well as almost a mentorship. And a, like, what better mentor could you have, seriously? Um, but also, you know, someone like that up front feeding you balls. So I, I think that's um, also where he's going to have a little bit of an edge too. But you're right, that South American fighting spirit, look out. So we've talked about the totally new faces, but like Gabriel Jesus, there are plenty of transfers within the Premier League, and these ones carry the huge price tags because Premier League teams selling to each other tends to cause that. Raheem Sterling leaves Manchester City to go to Chelsea. Uh, We've also got Calvin Phillips leaving Leeds to go to Manchester City. Richarlison, a huge price tag moving from Everton to Tottenham. And Christian Eriksen going from Brentford to Manchester United. Uh, Is the signing of the season then going to be one of those transfers within the Premier League, whether it's a Gabriel Jesus or a Christian Eriksen who could potentially transform Manchester United's midfield? What do you like of the moves within the Premiership in this off-season? I think uh, lots of those, again, you know, big moves are opportunities and that's what it falls down to at the end of the day. Um, Rakalson will be a great move for him as well, I think. Uh, you know, strengthening from a top, whether you're going to strengthen a top side or, or come back down, there's opportunity in both of those things. My favourite signing actually came for no money <laughs> and that is Ericsson. Uh, and I can't believe we, we're, everyone's talking about this, but I thought 
Um, it was such a romantic fairy tale story at Brentford and really, you know, after coming back from such a, a, a horrific medical episode to get back out there, it was, I think we fans, fans fell in love with him. I certainly started following Brentford more closely because of him. Um, he, he helped them last year do, do so well in the second half of the season. Um, but I, while I respect him as a great player, I think the move to United is actually more about culture, to be honest. I think he's a wonderful leader. He sets a great example. He's very honest and that probably comes from his heritage and upbringing. Um, and I think it's helping. He's, you know, he's already called out errors or, or things that he thinks the side needs to work on immediately since, you know, hitting the ground there. And I think uh, lovers of the game, not necessarily football talent and superstars, but lovers of the game have fallen in love with this guy and we will follow him wherever he goes. And um, to me, I know it was no dollars, but I think um, he's one of the, the, he's a good signing for over there because they need a bit of a cultural shift. And I'm sure we'll talk about that soon. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Ericsson's a big signing for, for Manchester United, really good. And I, and I think what's key for Ericsson is that I think he'll play a lot of football there. He's that creativity, that little bit of different player, that quality player. I don't think it will phase him playing at Manchester United. I don't think that will be a problem for him whatsoever. Um, and I think I think he'll be a standout player for them. Obviously, there's a lot more than just Ericsson that needs to happen at Manchester United, and we've seen things start to change a little bit. It's just interesting to see how quickly that all falls into place, if at all. It may take some time. Richarlison, look, I'm not so sure. You know, I'm, I really... I, I, look, I, I, I never was necessarily a massive fan of Everton. Yes, he's a fighter and, and everything else, but I, I'm not sure. I mean, look, I, only time will tell how he slots in, where he slots in at Tottenham. How does that combination work with him and Harry Kane? Does it work together? Um, Jesus, we talked about earlier on, I think he'll be a very good player for, for Arsenal. Um, question is... How will the dips in form happen with him, you know, because of that playing every day, every week? Um, the one player we haven't talked about at all, haven't even mentioned, is Jesse Lingard. Uh, I think that's, yeah. a, that's a fascinating decision for him to, to go to Nottingham Forest. Um, interestingly, only on a one-year contract. Um, look, he, he's, I, there's no doubting he's got ability, he's got quality, he's shown it. Um, certainly in the last 12 months he's shown it in a number of a number of uh, moments with certainly at West Ham not so much at Manchester United not because of his own doing but more so because of not giving the opportunity he's got the potential to have a major major influence at Nottingham Forest um, but for me the one we talked about one of the questions will be wildest weirdest worst business move and I and I think yes. there's a couple of there's a couple of things like weirdest and worst business move goes to Manchester City because of selling Raheem Sterling to to Chelsea. Um, Wildest because he's they've let him go to one of their biggest you know one of their rivals not their biggest rival but one of their rivals. If we talk about who's going to vie for the the Premier League title, I think he'll be an outstanding player for for Chelsea. I think he's already shown. I think he's an outstanding player. And again, we go back to what we talked about earlier on, Amy, about the fact that Confidence, he's going to belief. yes. That's right. So he's going to go to a club where the manager is going to believe in him, get him, give him the opportunity. And I don't ever feel like he ever felt that at Manchester City. Or maybe there was a slight, there was a period of maybe twelve months where he was, where he was absolutely outstanding. Whereas for whatever reason they fell out, <clears throat> sorry, they fell out, or whatever happened, that just fell apart. And I think Man City's loss is certainly Chelsea's gain. 
I want to pick up on your Jesse Lingard signing for just a moment because he obviously went for an undisclosed fee, which I find baffling in the first place. I don't know, Swartz, if you've been able to do some digging there, but I do know he earns, you know, quite a pretty penny on a, or pound, I should say, on a, a weekly basis. And they've agreed to pay over that is my understanding. But the problem with this is actually twofold. Um, Forrest has signed him to be their marquee player, their big name signing, which which I totally understand. But I don't know that he has the right personality to fit into that leadership role that they're actually looking for. So that that worries me a little bit. But also I, I worry for his teammates because I think how do you how does it make you feel? And you can probably talk to this a bit more, Schwartzy, because you actually got pl- paid to play football, unlike me. <laughs> but how does it make you feel when or react when you know that he's being paid overs and he doesn't deliver? Um, and he's got that kind of personality, which is not always, you know, the greatest of leaders or the most positive. How does that affect your teammates and how does it affect the change room? That's what I'm concerned about. That's why I think it's weird. Well, the key, the key is that what does he deliver? What does he bring to the change room? What does he bring to the football pitch more importantly? So if he goes there and it's a complete disaster, of course, there's going to be resentment. Of course, there's going to be players that are going to be disgruntled about him even being there. And all the other sideshow that goes on if he doesn't deliver. But if he delivers, all that is almost irrelevant. I, I, I never cared what other players were earning. I really didn't care. I'm almost like, good luck to you. Whatever anyone can get, that's their own business and everything else. The problem is if they come and they're absolutely, they die, it's a dive bomb, you know, it's a, it's a disaster. And part of that is because of possibly their own attitude, full stop. That's where the problems begin. But look, I, he, he's got a lot to play for. I've got no doubt he still believes he can get into the England side. And I think if he plays in England like he did for West Ham, then he's got every chance to make that England squad for the World Cup. Um, so this is that's his big opportunity. But it can go badly wrong very quickly because obviously Forrest have done a complete rebuild. I think it's 12 players have come into the club. Um, how quickly can Steve Cooper gel that side together? How quickly can they hit the ground running? Because they're still talking about bringing in players now. So how well can they get them together playing well and pick up and get the momentum going and get the confidence going? Because if you're getting a lot of players in, mismatching players, trying to get them to play football, but then you're getting bad results along the way and then the, you know there's, there's this pressure, it's so difficult to find any rhythm, any sort of, any sort of uh, momentum, and that's the problem. All right, so that's the transfer market. Let me ask you a couple of quick questions then. Player of the year. Last year it was Kevin De Bruyne. Young player of the year was Phil Foden. Is it as simple as the best player in the team that wins the championship will get the nod? So we're looking at a De Bruyne (laughs) or a Salah, or do you have a player in that next tier, whether it's an Arsenal, a Man U, a Chelsea, that can win player of the year, even if their team isn't necessarily winning the Premier League title at the end of the season? No. Yeah. No, no to the, the second part of the yeah. question and yes to the first part of the question. I think they're going to come from teams one and two at the end of the day. Um, and I think we're all pretty pretty sure that one and two, bar some amazing footballing weirdness, will be um, City and Liverpool, right? So I think, you know, your players of the year are going to come from there. I've picked Salah. Um Again, <laughs> um, I do think <laughs> I do think De Bruyne will be. Uh, this is his chance. You know, it's not his first year anymore. He's had a taste of it. He knows what he has to do. But whether it comes out on the park 
we'll have to wait and see. I've picked Salah to pick up that again, young player of the year. This one's wide open. There are signings from, you know, 18 year olds who I think are showing some real promise out there um, already in the preseason right through to um, younger players that have been there now in the system for, for a really long time, but haven't had that chance to play at the top flight regularly enough to be noticed. So I think that's what it comes down to. But yeah, I'm with Schwartzy. It's going to come from top teams. Yeah, I agree. And and for me, the the player... So it's funny because you mentioned uh, Mo Salah. I picked a player from the same team. Um, and he's... he's. I've actually mentioned him quite a bit, actually. Um, and I'm going to go with Darwin Nunes. I, I'm just going to... I think... I, it's just going to clean sweep all the awards yeah, in sports. No, yeah, head. I think he's going to be because I think he's going to be leading goal scorer, and I think he's going to. I think he's going to then become player of the year because then Liverpool are going to win the league as well, and possibly a few other trophies along the way. I just think his impact's going to be so significant. I, I just think he's going to be seamless. The way he slots in, he's already shown that. I thought he brought something completely different to Liverpool's front three that we've seen in over the last probably four or five years. He's brought that little bit of bite, that little bit of nastiness, but mm. like top quality and physicality. So they've got something a little bit different now as well. Um, I, I like it. I like everything I've seen about him. I've seen him from him so far. And so long as he stays fit, as long as that all goes well, I, I think I think Liverpool are onto something really big here. That's the big kicker, isn't it? He's got to stay yep. fit, and I think that's for all players. Yes. And that is a question mark over Haaland as well, because he did spend, I think, since 2018, something like 208 days on the injury list. So um, we're just going to wipe him from that uh, conversation. Well, that, that is the problem. That's the problem. Sorry, just to interrupt. That is the problem. And, I, and I've said this on a number of podcasts um, over the last couple of months, is that with uh, Erling Haaland, the problem is his fitness. And he's had a lot of muscular mm. injuries. So... There is a big in, there's a big concern about, um, and there certainly was becoming a concern in Germany about his fitness levels and, and is he one of these players that's going to continuously break down? Are they playing him injured? You know, are they rushing him back? What, what is the problem with him? Is he overdoing it? Is there a general an issue with a player? Is he going to continuously break down with injuries? So we talk about the Premier League, the intensity of the Premier League, the physicality part of it. He's going to be tested even more now. So we've heard Mark's prediction for Golden Boot. He's got Nunez. Amy, who's yours? Who's going to be the top scorer in the Premier League this coming season? Oh, well, it looks like I'm just sticking with Mo all day because you're sticking with Nunez all day. But um, I think he'll be right up there. You know, th- this is one I want to talk about because it's so tough on these plate. Well, it's not tough. It's just nice to put the ball in the back of the net as a striker, obviously, and celebrate. But um, it- it's tough to split them and it's tough to choose. And uh, I know Son finished right up there equal last year and I'd like to think he'll be up there again. But I think with the pairings that you have at Tottenham, uh, with Kulisewski, with Son, with Kane, is that they share the goal scoring, um, which is a strength of Tottenham, but also a weakness when you're looking at individual um, awards like this. Because obviously when you're, you're sharing the goals around in your team, you're uh, it's less likely that one of those will be able to pick up this top award. Um the more I read about it and the more I watch, I probably have to agree with Schwartz and I don't like to do that all the time. Um, <laughs> but I probably do have to. I think if Nunez continues the work that he's doing and continues his pre-season form and, and you know, has players around him like, like Diaz and Salah feeding him, then it's going to be... And don't forget they signed Cavallo as well. We haven't even talked about um, him coming across, you know, as well. But I think, I think he'll be hard to beat. 
So one more on individuals before we get into some of the team-oriented uh, chat. Who's going to be your breakout player of the season, whether it's someone who hasn't grabbed the headlines in previous campaigns or whether it's a totally new signing? Amy, lead us off. Who's your breakout player that is going to catch everyone by surprise and maybe take the Premier League by storm? Yeah, okay. So I've picked, I've gone super young and 18. There was a list of probably 15 or 16 players that I looked at, including, you know, famous names like Zidane and Zidane and all of these. But ultimately, I've actually gone for someone from the same team. And I hope that this, uh, this signing is not going to come from City or Liverpool Schwartz. He's going to come from Manchester United and he's Argentinian. Uh, he's an 18-year-old forward called Alejandro Ganacho. Um, look, he was phenomenal in their youth team. He was United's best player when they won the FA Youth Cup. He's had a super preseason. He's quick. He's classy. He's great in front of goals. He's very right-footed is probably the only thing about him I don't really love. He wears the number 75, so he's, he's right out there. But again, coming from um, the Argentinian national team, he has a bit of flair. He's got so much passion. Um is already playing for the national team there. And I think uh, he's had 12 minutes of Premier League so far in his career. Um, but Eric Ten Hag has already confirmed he's part of his plans this season. So I think if we can watch him, you know, scoot, he actually plays on the left-hand side a lot. If we can watch him scooting down and cutting in, he's just lovely on the ball. And I think he's a name we're going to hear a lot more of. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I can't disagree necessarily. But what I, who I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with someone completely left field, a young player as well. Um, nowhere near the top six teams. Um, well, Manchester United probably top eight. Um, I'm going to go with Brennan Johnson, who plays for Nottingham Forest. Um, had a standout season last season. Um, 18 goals, 10 assists in the championship. Was was brilliant for for Nottingham Forest. Big part, a big reason why they got promoted. He elected to stay at the club, could have uh, could have gone, but wanted to stay at a club that he supported, grew up in the area, born in the area. Some good additions. I hope that him, uh, Iwani, Jesse Lingard, I hope they can form a really good relationship because this kid's got talent. He'll hopefully also be, I'm sure he will be, he'll be at the World Cup for Wales as well. Um, and I think this season is a real breakthrough season for him. Wow, there's a couple of names for you. Uh, I know I'm not here for my opinions, but... Notice we didn't. Well, pick I'm going to throw one in there. What's oh goalkeeper Schwartz? No, What's wrong with I know, you? I know. I'm going to throw in there Aaron Hickey for Brentford. Uh, so few teenagers get game time in Serie A. He played the entire season for Bologna. I think it's a great piece of business from Brentford. I don't think they've just signed him for the now. I think they've signed him to get a huge transfer fee for him if he plays well in the Premier League because he's on a four-year deal. So I think he'll be one to watch. I don't think he'll be at Brentford for very long if he does play well, and Brentford will make a huge profit on him, and uh, Bologna will get a nice little chunk of the sell-on fee as well. So that would be my breakout player to watch too, a Scottish left-back. Pretty exciting. All right, you're listening to the Optus Sport Gegenpot. A quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about some of the team-oriented goals for the season ahead, who's going to challenge, who's in trouble, and we'll even touch on the manager sack race. You're listening to the Optus Sport Gegenpot. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
You're listening to the Optus Sport Pod. It's our Premier League season preview. Don't forget it starts at 4am on Saturday morning with Crystal Palace against Arsenal, live and exclusive on Optus Sport. And let's talk about some of the teams. Let's talk about uh, surprises, contending surprises, whether it's to push into the title race or into the European positions, or whether it's nasty surprises like what happened to Everton last season, finding themselves in a relegation battle right down until the last couple of weeks of the season. Mark, who's going to surprise us from the teams this year? I'm going to go with, I mean, it's probably not the biggest surprise, but I think Tottenham will surprise a lot more people this season. I think um, Antonio Conte... It'll, you know, you've seen some of the. I don't know if you've seen some of the training sessions they've been doing. Has been incredible. Um, I think he's got the players all on board. I think the players are all um, raring to go. I think that he will get Tottenham performing. He'll. I think he'll get every little bit of ounce of of ability and um, energy out of this side. And I think come the end of the season, they will be pushing a lot higher than probably. I mean, I know they finished fourth this season. Um, this last season just gone, but I think the gap will be a lot narrower between them and the top top two. I think they'll have to start well to agree with you, Schwartz. I think they'll be outstanding. I'm not worried about their. I'm not worried about them up front. I worry about being able to fit into Conti's expectations um, and how these new players fit in and how quickly they get off and running. Because I think the start of the season is really, really important um, for them. I think there's a chance for them to go top three and potentially to push if they get some results for their way or, or a you know a big scalp early in the season. Um, but my surprise team, I'm actually going with Nottingham. I think the surprise will be that they stay up <laughs> <laughs> because um, traditionally, you know, bottom teams have it really tough. But I think they're, they're going to have so much home support. They're a big club. There's money around them. I think they they will do well, and I think that they will they will surprise um, a lot of teams that they're not just newly promoted and going to be walkovers. I don't think they will be. I think especially at home they're going to be super hard to beat, and I think they'll end up a lot higher up the table as you know we saw Leicester City do. Um, you know, back in what was it twenty sixteen? I think uh, Sheffield United um, were the same, and, and Brentford last year overperformed, and I think this year it's going to be Nottingham. Well, what about the biggest disappointment then? Because expectations are always sky high. We've had Manchester United in Australia in the start of the Eric Ten Hag era and no shortage of pressure is already being heaped onto him. We got to see it firsthand with the Manchester press pack actually touring to Australia and sort of pulling back the curtain to see exactly uh, how they are trying to get access to Ten Hag and, and their frustration that they can't pick his brain on a more regular basis. Arsenal have been smashing all and sundry. They beat Chelsea 4-0. They beat Sevilla 6-0. It's almost like this is, and I say this as an Arsenal fan, it's almost like this is Arsenal's time to shine and then the real stuff begins. And, uh, of course, there could be other potential disappointments in terms of the teams like Leeds or Everton that found themselves in relegation mm. battles last year. You know, it could be a Crystal Palace. It could be an Aston Villa, a team that has aspirations of pushing into the Europa League and instead finds themselves in the bottom half of the table. So, Mark, who do you think is uh, perhaps set for disappointment this season and won't meet the expectations of their fans? Um, I'm going to go with Leicester City. That only club in the league that haven't made a signing. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of talk about, obviously, Schmeichel's on his way out. 
Um, they're talking about James Madison. I think they've had a second bid from Newcastle. Harvey Barnes has been mentioned there. Fafana has been mentioned about going to, to Chelsea potentially. Uh, Yuri Tillemans has been mentioned with a lot, a lot of clubs. They There is certainly an issue. Um, financially, there's a problem somewhere, whether it's to do with financial fair play or whether it's to do with something else. Um, there seems to be a lot, a lot of problems. I mean, Brendan Rodgers was very outspoken towards the end of the season, he, saying that he needs to really shake up his squad. Um, obviously, that's fallen on deaf ears because no, nothing's happened. And I, I, I fear for them. And we know it's like when you win a club and things are really slow, things don't happen, players don't come in, you need sometimes just players to come in just to freshen things up, just to keep people on, on their toes, ruffle a few feathers. That's not happened. And that is really worrying for Leicester City. I I, uh, I picked exactly the same team, and maybe for some of those reasons, Schwartzy and you know I was looking at them. They finished eighth last season, which I thought was you know quite admirable. We'd seen them do really well previous to that. The Foxes have done the least transfer business. In fact, I don't think they've signed a single name they yet, have they? No, so they it's haven't. like zero. Um, Unless we see a late rush of additions, which is unlikely, I think, because there's not even any chat about it, is there? Um, you're right. Rogers called for some big changes and some support. He hasn't got that. Whether he decides to even stay in the role, knowing that is, is you know, going to be a conversation we probably need to have. But you're still working with the same squad that you finished the season with, disappointingly, in pre-season. Um, to write notes about this team as you look forward, there's nothing to excite you. Like, really, there's nothing to excite you. And I think um, if you're a Foxes fan, you're, you're going to just be about the season ahead and and I don't think you're going to finish in the top eight in fact I think you're going to finish right down the bottom and if you don't if you don't you know if you don't step up maybe even maybe even you know looking at relegation I, I don't think I, I think Leicester's too good at that like I think that when I say no no teams no get I mean the saying goes no team is too good to go down right but but obviously you've got to take the pinch of salt I think Leicester, uh, Leicester are too good to go down I think they've got more than enough to stay in the league. But what I'm saying is they're going to, at this rate, the manager's saying he needs to really shake things up. Players, you know, you know that. You hear that. You know the manager's not happy about things. You know he wants to bring in different players. You you probably know, the, a lot of players will know if they're in his plans. Um, and, and that's the worrying bit. The team morale, are they together? That's, yeah. Do they trust the manager? That's the problem. Well, it would be remiss of us not to talk about uh, Newcastle when it comes to expectations as well. Uh, they haven't really come up yet in our discussions. They did sign Sven Botman. Uh, I've compared him perhaps to uh, what they hope Vincent Company became for Manchester City, the centre-back, only 22, the rock they can build their team around as they ascend up the layers. But rather than go boom and play fantasy football or football manager in real life, they have been a bit more tempered in their off-season business. Certainly, everyone thought that when they avoided relegation last season and did so comfortably, it might prompt a summer spending splurge. Schwartzy, where's it's gone? Why haven't Newcastle vaulted into the top four contenders just yet on the back of their new ownership? Well, I think it's clever. You know, I think it's clever to to look at trying to bring in some, some experience. Nick Pope, I think, is a very, very good goalkeeper. Um, you know, we talked about the last, I think it was a January transfer window when Kieran Trippier came in. Obviously, they they, they, they lost him for, from injuries, but he was a big signing for them. Uh, Bruno Gamera's has turned out to be brilliant for them. That was always a big question because of the fact that he came from a different league. How was that going to work? Um, you know, one of the players that hasn't worked out is Chris Wood. You know, a player that has got Premier League experience but has struggled um, 
whilst being there, Dan Byrne, big signing for him. It turned out to be, even though on paper people were going, hang on, Newcastle have got all this money and they go and sign someone like Dan Byrne from, from Brighton. But I thought he he's also been excellent for them. I think they've been clever. I, I really do. And I think uh, the way that they're playing, um, the players all seem to be on board. The the club is certainly heading in the right direction. I, I, I've been impressed, actually. I, I was always worried. You know, they talk about when, when a club gets taken over, like people talk about... Um, all this money, you know, the biggest names in football are going to be attracted to going to Newcastle. We talked about it earlier on. If you bring in a player that's on silly money compared to everyone else and he's the main man, that can really disrupt things. So I, I have to say, I think they're, they're doing it doing it well. They are, and I think they're building slowly. I think they're a chance for for maybe, you know, Conference League European football maybe maybe this year but I think they're building it's not necessarily about this year Teo I think it's about next year and the year after at the moment and I think you'll see that um, if you bring in a whole lot of players at once it's hard to to create a gelling atmosphere but if you bring in a couple at a time and you build and build and build it's a lot easier to build success and in all honesty uh, they can't be more dreadful than they were in the first half of last season so everyone is smiling because of that um, I agree Nick Pope is a strong addition Botman will will strengthen them well Gamera's was excellent um, towards the end of last season I expect that to continue the other change I think that's worked for them is Jolinton in the midfield now um, I think he's he's filling in well there. But with names like Trippier and St. Maxim Men and uh, Callum Wilson, they could be a dark horse to go better than what people think. Um, but again, it'll it'll all depend on the start of the season, which, as I said, cannot be worse than what it was last year. Let's uh, just switch gears a little bit because we've talked about a lot of the additions, a lot of the signings, a lot of the optimism. But the reality is that at the end of the season, three teams go down. And last season, we had a wild uh, mid-season section of managerial changes. Watford, of course, who got relegated, sacked Zisco. They would later sack Claudio Ranieri later in the season, and in came Roy Hodgson. But we also had Steve Bruce leaving Newcastle, Nuno Espirito Santo sacked from Tottenham, uh, Dean Smith sacked from Aston Villa and replaced by Stephen Gerrard, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sacked from Manchester United, and then the Ralph Ranieri interim experiment until the end of the season. We all remember that Rafa Benitez started the season at Everton before he was sacked and replaced by Frank Lampard and of course Marcelo Bielsa left Leeds and he was replaced by Jesse Marsh and then right at the end of the season Burnley sacked Sean Dyche something that people never thought would happen so uh, after a season of carnage last campaign do we get something as busy this season and if so whose head is closest to the chopping block? When you put it like that, uh, tell you it, that it's wild, isn't it? To think we went through almost as many managers as we did players. It's um, it's crazy, absolutely crazy. I, I think, and maybe just because they're newer and fresher in our heads, um, I am, I am concerned for Everton. I am concerned for Leeds. Jesse Marsh. Um, I think if if they continue to play the way they have in the preseason, they're in a lot of trouble. And I think. Um, you know, he was brought in because he is that fiery type and he, he builds them up and we've seen him have success. But that's that's a card you use occasionally. You can't do it week in, week out and expect the players to respond. I think Leeds are in trouble. I think uh, Cranky Frankie, as I like to call him, is probably also in a little bit of trouble too as far as uh, managers go. Um, but, yeah, wild to think how many we went through last year and I, I just can't imagine that happening again. Well, um I think, oh, look, I think there will be. 
It's it's that's just the nature. Wow. Of the, I think it's the nature really? of the Premier League. Yeah, because what will happen is we'll have the very much the same. We'll have a couple of teams who end up having a bit of a bad start or falling away a little bit. The bigger clubs, the clubs that are absolutely petrified of being dragged into a fight. Look, I think your Bournemouth, your Fulham, at this stage, certainly even Nottingham Forest, there's an expectation they'll be there or thereabouts and they'll be fighting around through most of the season for survival. Then there's the rest. Have Leeds United done enough? Have Will Jesse Marsh, that... Is it an experiment? Will that decision to bring him, will it be the right one? He's had a, a transfer window now. He's They've had a big turnover of or quite a few new acquisitions to the club. Obviously, losing Calvin Phillips was a big loss. Tyler Adams, I think, is a really good signing for, for Leeds United as well. I've liked him when I've seen him play in the Bundesliga for, for RB Leipzig. I thought he was very good. So he's a talent. Um, <clears throat> is that what they need? I think he, I think he will slot in pr- quite well in the Premier League. So Everton's an interesting one. I think if they end up starting almost like they did um, through periods of time when Frank first took over, I wouldn't be surprised if the trigger gets pulled really quickly. The interesting one for me, even though I don't think the club would want to sack him, but the club, uh, as in the hierarchy, I think they feel that he's the perfect man for them. But what we saw towards the end of last season at Southampton with Ralph Halsenhudel was the fans started to get on his back. The fans actually, for the first time, started to boo him. And that is a worry because it doesn't matter how much a club, the hierarchy, dig their heels in for a certain amount of time, they'll only be so long. And if he loses the players, loses the crowd, he's in big trouble. Even though I'm a big fan of him, I think he's done a tremendous job at Southampton. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if, for me, he's one of the first ones to get it to go. Well, they had a dreadful end to the season, didn't they? Because they won yep. one, one of 13 at That's the right. At the end of it, and I think you know, poor team performances are—you cannot win games and still perform well as a team. But I feel like the team at the end of last year really fell away. So I think they will be in a relegation battle with the likes of Leeds this season. You know, I picked bottom bottom six: Southampton, Brighton. Um, they didn't finish well either. Brentford, while I think you know they performed better than expected they've lost you know their heart and soul and i think that they'll find it really hard and i think you've got to look at statistics don't you schwartzy because traditionally two of the three that come up go straight back down um so that makes for an interesting battle at the bottom yeah well going on to that following on from that i i have actually picked two out of the three that got promoted to go down again and, and I'll, I'll say it straight away. I mean, Bournemouth, for me, haven't done enough. I think what they've done is they've spent a little bit of money bringing in players that if they're able to go up to the next level, if they're able to, to, to push on a little bit, they may give them half a chance. But they'll be very good players in the championship come next season. And I think the, the financial returns or the benefits of being in the Premier League will put them in a good position then hopefully for them to bounce back. I, I just I find they're, they're in a losing battle. I think it's a tough, tough ask for Bournemouth to stay in the league. I think for Fulham, Fulham have again waited too long to do their business. I, I spoke with, to Marco Silva the other day and off camera he was a little bit worried, uh, frustrated how long it's taken. And he also said to me he was quietly confident that things would happen, but it'll be at late this week. Um, there's been a lot of rumours about Burnt Leno um, coming to, to Fulham and I was at Arsenal and there were some whispers speaking to a few people behind the scenes there that he was most likely going to be at uh, Fulham come uh, before the, the start of the season. So for me, that's a brilliant signing for Fulham. 
he could add something uh, so obviously a lot of experience and he's a top class goalkeeper but they need more they need a lot more Vestergaard's been talked about as a centre half for them I think they need so much more. They probably need another five or six players to have any chance of staying up. And I'll go back to it. Ralph Hasenhüttl, Southampton, I think they're going to be in the mix as well. Mm, I picked uh, the same with Fulham and, and Bournemouth and Bournemouth especially because I just don't think the squad has the depth. And I, I want to remind everyone that we're going to the five subs rule this year. So um, where you know you do need a squad that has more depth, especially with a World Cup smack bang in the middle of the season. Um, the Cherries will really struggle. And on top of that, they have a, a really tough start to the season. So it won't help with their confidence. Their opener is against Villa. Um, then they play City away, Arsenal at home and Liverpool away. So not a great start for them. Uh, I, for one, would not like to be a centre-back of this side when Haaland makes his debut at home for City. And I think um, that could be a really messy result. But I think we're on the same page, Swarshi. Yep. One thing we haven't touched on is the managers of the the big six. Plenty of uh, managers that might be battling relegation in the gun. But... uh, Jurgen Klopp, new contract at Liverpool. He's not going anywhere. Todd Bowley is probably going to give uh, Thomas Tuchel a lot more leeway than Roman Abramovich uh, gives any of his managers during the Abramovich era. Eric Ten Hag is new. But do you have any any inkling that a Mikel Arteta, Antonio Conte, who had threatened to walk last season, or even uh, Pep Guardiola maybe finishing the project if he wins the Champions League or maybe tiring of the project if he doesn't. Do you think there will be a manager change in the so-called Big Six this season? I don't, Schwartzy. Yeah, I... Look, will it be throughout the season, through the course of the season? Um, Look, I think there's always potential. There's always potential that could happen purely on the basis that one of the so-called top four or five teams has a really bad time, really bad run. Look, I think it's an interesting time for Chelsea at the moment. Um, yeah, they've brought in Raheem Sterling, but they've really struggled. Koulibaly is another one, but they still feel, and Thomas Tuchel said he needs more players. There's quite a few players they want out the door or are going to go out the door. There's a bit of a turnover. It's very late again. Don't think they've quite done enough. enough, And I think Thomas Tuchel has been quite frustrated with that. Um, so it'd be interesting to see the relationship between him and the owners and, and how that works out. I, and, and also, it's a new he's in a new position, Thomas Tuchel, because he's going to find himself now and he's not in an ideal situation. He hasn't been able to bring in players that he really wants to, probably get players out the door. Um, you know, he's lost a lot of defenders. He's only brought in one in Koulibaly. What are they going to do? How are they going to handle it? Um, yeah, I, I think... Is he going to be there till the end of the season? Look, I'd like to think so because I think I'm a big fan of him. I think he's done a tremendous job at Chelsea. But I think there's always a question mark at any of those top four, five, six teams. If things don't quite go to plan, they could easily be out the door. All right. So let's talk about the title race. We've had your relegation predictions. Uh, you've strongly indicated as to who your top two will be. But I'll ask you for not just the Premier League winner, but your top four. Because those Champions League spots, Eric Ten Hag comes in with the expectation that he brings Manchester United back into Champions League contention. Mikel Arteta and Arsenal got so close, but then fell in the final weeks last campaign. And of course, Antonio Conte delivered in getting Tottenham into those Champions League positions. And, and Tuchel and Chelsea, they've got their challenges. So... Uh, Amy, I'll start with you. Who's your title winner and who's your top four? 
Well, I, I've actually chosen, the more we talk about this, the more I think it's going to be City now, but I did choose Liverpool to come out on top, so I'm going to stick strong. I think um, the problem that I have with changing up the top two is that while the other teams underneath them have strengthened, I don't think they've strengthened enough to overtake. Um, I don't think they've strengthened enough to overtake uh, the top two. So I think, you know, City and Liverpool will be right up there. I'm going to go Liverpool first. They're going to get an upset somewhere in the season and they're going to go ahead um, and take it just if City go ahead early in the season and stay ahead. I think it's going to be a larger gap than it was last year. I will say that. But I'm going to go Liverpool, Manchester City. And I'm going to go Tottenham and Chelsea. Um, I think Tottenham have done a great job to to provide um, a stronger midsection to their side, which will support their amazing forward line uh, as far as delivery, but also defensively. And I think they will, as we said earlier, that they will surprise some. And I think, I think Chelsea will be okay. I think I would have liked to have seen them be quicker and more deliberate in their signings um, and they haven't moved as fast as I th- as I thought they would but I think they will still be right up there so that's where I'm going Liverpool Manchester City Chelsea and Tottenham the scary thing about that is I've actually said exactly the same thing oh, and, and and the reason also I said it um, I'm a bit I'm a little bit worried about Chelsea I agree um, the signing thing we talked about it earlier on you mentioned it again then Amy they haven't um, certainly been as diligent and probably as proactive as certainly Thomas Tuchel would have liked and I think a lot of Chelsea fans would have liked to see. But again, I'll go back to it. Raheem Sterling is a great signing. Um, I, and, I, and I said it, and I've picked Chelsea to finish fourth purely, purely because, yeah, I still believe they will finish in the top four, but also sentimental values being one of my old clubs and they will pep Arsenal for it, even though I think Arsenal's a big shout. I think there's a top five and any one of those... Those three, as in Spurs, Chelsea and, and Arsenal, will be in those positions from three to five. I think the top two mm. will be that. I think Liverpool I think Liverpool will win it this season. I really do. And I think Manchester City will finish second. Interesting. Well, I've left this topic until last because it's the one where news could break and therefore leave this discussion uh, redundant to history. But it may drag on for a long, long time. And that is Cristiano Ronaldo. And I note that neither of you had Manchester United in your top fours in uh, Eric Ten Hag's first season in charge. Mark, the circus that is Ronaldo, it's almost like he's his own team at the moment. And finding a team to buy him is difficult because he's probably, in terms of his following, wage, profile, the media that, that gives him the attention, he's almost a bigger franchise than the club he could potentially move to. And if the player is bigger than the club, it's just not a good fit. We saw the Atletico Madrid fans hold up the banner saying no to CR7. Does he stay at Manchester United? What does Cristiano Ronaldo's future hold? And what does this saga do to Manchester United trying to kickstart the Ten Hag era? Um, I, look, I think Manchester United have done well, and I think Ten Hag has done well to just put it to one side. And I think they've just gone, you know what? It's not in our control as players, as a manager. I, I, I've, I'm sure he's given his his uh, two cents in as, as what he believes should happen, what he would like, ideally. But if not, if it drags on any longer, he'd be saying, right, let, let's just get a deal and get him out of the club. Uh, look, I think... I think I think it's a time now where it's moved on, and I think it's time for him to move on. I still think he could add something to Manchester United, but I don't see him as a week week in week out starter, and that's obviously what he demanded last season. 
um, which you can understand. Player, you know, look, he was their leading goal scorer. He was, he was the player that got them out of out of more trouble than anyone else. I kind of understand it. But now you're talking about re- building a side. Managers come in. Let's not forget, it's a manager who's never ever had total control or certainly a large control of his signings. So that in itself is a challenge because at Ajax there's a system in place where the manager just has a say but he doesn't have a huge amount of say in types of players. They pick players based on their system. Manchester United is different. Now he's got an opportunity to try and have his own uh, have his own say on, on, on the type of players he brings in. So I think for Cristiano Ronaldo, he, he's, we all know he's running out of time. He wants to win trophies. He wants to win, win things. He wants to win another Ballon d'Or for sure. Don't think that's going to happen. Um, I, I reckon it'd be amazing if he went to Atletico Madrid. And I know from what I've, what I've heard, Diego Simeone would love to have him there. But obviously there's, res, there's massive resistance from fans and also pe- some people within the club. So it may become a bit of a, a tug of war as to who has more power, who's going to have the final say, even though we know that Diego Simeone has a lot, a lot of say at, at, at Atletico Madrid. Um, but I'd love to see him there. I'd love to see the reaction, the fans, and how quickly they turn, um, certainly come on his side, and certainly if he starts scoring goals, and that game against Real Madrid, that what that would be like. Um, I think you're very, very kind, Schwartz, and you've said that very tactfully. I don't think Eric Ten Hag is a sort of coach to muck around. If I had a player like this, as good as he is, in my change room and in my culture and leaving a game before it's even finished, which we, you know, rumours have it. We saw the other day, he's 37 years old. I know he scores goals for every club that he goes to, but he also leaves every club that he goes to not necessarily in a better place. If I was having this resistance from a player who didn't want to be there, no matter how good he was, I want him out. So (laughs) just let him go or block his career and finish it here because that's the other option that they have, right, to keep him and to not play him. I think that would be stupid. I think that it doesn't help uh, the hero status that he holds in our community, although that's quickly turning to villain, as you can see with some of the signs that have been held up. If it was me, I'd let him go um, and, and you know, rebuild the culture within the team and and hope for better results without him. Well, I mean, he, he he's going to want to play because it's, it's his last chance to win a World Cup with Portugal mid-season. So if, if he gets jettisoned at Man U, surely he will agitate and find his way to get out, even if it's not to the best fit. Isn't he doing that already? He's doing that already. Yeah. I, I think he realises he's also he's not going to play all the time at, uh, at Man United with Ten Hag. And, and, and I agree with what you're saying, Amy. I mean, Ten Hag's come in and, and, and put all these, these rules in place. And he's been brutal, apparently, within his rules. So, yeah, there's no doubt he'll be saying, get him out of the club. Like, I'm sure he would have been saying, look, uh, either yes, I can work with him, or no, I don't want to work with him. No, that, that's gone. We're moving on. I mean, Anthony Martial seems like a different player now under a new manager. Um, Bruno Fernandes, look, we've, we've seen it. It's been documented. It's been the statistics out there. He plays better when he doesn't have Cristiano Ronaldo in his same team. So the stats are better. He scores more goals and provides more assists. So... I think there's a lot of positives as to why not to have him at the club. Just get rid of him. <laughs> Leave it at that. Just get rid of him. Let him be a star somewhere else. <laughs> Final say before the Premier League kicks off. Is there anything that I haven't prompted or brought up that you want to get on the record or anything that's uh, come to mind while we've been discussing the season preview that you want to get out there and put your flag in the ground before the season starts so you can look back maybe at the end of the season and say, I told you so? Just that me and Schwartzy were on the same page at the beginning of the year and by the end of it, we'll be arguing over it, I'm sure. <laughs> I've, I've taken notes, so I've got it written down. So I'm there and it's not going to go anywhere. So I can always look back at it. 
Fantastic. Well, that's our Premier League preview done. Of course, there is a heap of Premier League preview content that you can watch on Optus Sport on the web or on the app. And you can see the games live from 4 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time on Saturday morning. Crystal Palace against Arsenal kicks off the season. And then later that night, Fulham host Liverpool at Craven Cottage in a big night of football to restart the season. Also, the Gag and Pod will be out each Wednesday this season. Thomas Sorensen will be back. Michael Bridges will also join us. And we'll have a few other special guests and also occasional contributors throughout the course of the season, which will be exciting. So make sure that you like and you subscribe and rate us five stars in whatever podcast app you're listening to. The FA Women's Super League is about a month away from kickoff too, and all of it is live and on demand on the Optus Sport app. Mark Schwarzer, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, mate. Amy Duggan, thank you as well. Looking forward to seeing more of you on the Gagan Pod this season. Thank you. And my name is Teo Pelizzeri. Thank you for joining us on the Gagan Pod Optus Sports Football Podcast. Bring on the season. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.